All right. Well, hello, you guys. All right. So those of you guys that are here all the time, well, you know me. But those of you who don't, I'm Mike. Uh, Rob's obviously out of town this week. And, uh, well, yay. Um, you know. You know, and I say that, I always love to study the Word of God, and, and I love to write a message. Man, it is scary to get up here and give it to you guys. I don't know why. I mean, I see all those friendly faces out there that I know, and you, I know you guys love me, and I love you, and and it's all great. But it's always fun to know that Rob leaves, and there's the passage that's, well, <laughs> a little bit convicting. Uh, so, you know, all right, it's starting to get to be the norm. If some of the people that teach on a, you know, a little, on the substitute basis know, it's like, okay, it's a hard passage. Where's Rob going this week? <laughs> and I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm very much kidding about that. A little bit. Anyway, anyway, today we're going to learn, um, we're going to talk about something. And when I read this passage and I decided to try to ask God to teach me what he wanted me to, to, to bring out of this, the thing that really stood out was noise. It was noise versus silence. Um, you know, and today, you know, there's a lot of noise in the world today. We, we hear it a lot of different ways. And I hope maybe during this teaching we can go through it and look at it a little bit, you know. Um, it's uh, also a convicting passage. I have to go ahead and tell you that. And I apologize if anything that I bring up in this passage might seem like I'm being a little bit, you know, harsh or anything like that. But I can promise you one thing. Whenever the mirror is held up for us to look at, I'm in it. I know that for a fact. You know, I am guilty of all of these different little, you know, the, 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 as Rob puts it, the sandals that we need to try on, you know, from the time there. I know I'm convicted by each of these, and I hope that you guys don't take um, you know, think I'm being a little harsh when I get to some of these or not. I, don't, I, I really don't think I am, but if it does that way, I'm, I'm sorry about that. So um, we're going to pick up, you know, where we left off from last week. This week we're going into the uh, 23rd chapter of Luke. But um, last week we left off with Jesus' betrayal and his arrest, you know, and then um, we had Peter's denial you know, and, and I love that part that uh, when we Rob taught us, he told us about that. He said, Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him three times before the rooster crows. And Peter, just like much like what I would do. <laughs> no way, Jesus, I am going to be there for you. All that. And lo and behold, we see three times before the rooster crows. And Peter denied Jesus. And in his shame, he was just a uh, distraught. But Jesus never took his eyes off of him. Never took his eyes off of him when he didn't really, you know, stand where he thought he might be. He was always there. And he went back to Peter in the inn and asked him to be the rock for the church. And it moved on to Jesus before the council. And the Sanhedrin was looking, you know, they, they, they dragged him up there. And these, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, kangaroo courts. They were, um, we knew that they were, you know, not really the way it was supposed to be done. And and we also knew that the um, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, already knew what they wanted, and that was is they wanted Jesus dead. And so that's where we'll pick up today. Um, let me speaking of picking up, let me grab this. Um, say the um, the passage we'll start with today is going to be uh, Luke twenty third one through seven. So if you grab your, if you've got a Bible app or your Bible, you might want to turn there. And I'm going to see how about that we got there. Let's start reading this today. We'll um we'll read 
from this, the first um, seven. Yeah, let's see where we go. Said Then the entire council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. They began to state their case. This man has been leading our people astray, telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government and by claiming that he is Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Pilate turned to the leading priest in the crowd and said, I find nothing wrong with this man. But they became insistent. He is causing riots and teaching wherever he goes all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, is he a Galilean, Pilate asked. When they said that he was, Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction and Herod happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. So, it's kind of a long part, but we're going to break it up and see what we can do with it. Remember from last week, he... um, uh, is brought in front of the Jewish, well, the Jewish leaders, you know, the, the uh, Sanhedrin, the high priest, Ananias and um, Caiaphas were there. And there was a group of people that had gathered, um, most of the people that were, um, uh, most of the uh, members, you know, of the leading group of the Jewish leaders or whatever. And they were bringing him to Pilate and they were bringing him to Pilate because they wanted Jesus dead and they couldn't impose this sentence on him by by the Romans occupation they took away anybody any, any of the Jewish leaders rights for um, capital punishment they couldn't do it so they needed somebody in uh, there to you know fulfill their for lack of better terms dirty deed um, yeah and uh, so you know that's where we end up we've got we've got them there trying to take jesus there and trying to have Pilate um impose his sentence of death on him and you know if it was um not for this event we're going to find out that Pilate would have been largely unknown in history let me do this who is Pilate? well i could have gone on a long long time in the history about this because it's rich and it's interesting but we don't have till three o'clock this afternoon and so i cut all that out <laughs> and i and i and i boiled it down a little bit a little bit more quick brief and understandable but what we get and what we understand and it's important that we know who he is as well too but what we get mostly comes through the jewish historian josephus's writings and the christian and jewish writings of the time as well and in a nutshell, basically we have that uh, we have Pilate, who was made a governor of Judea through some political favor, that uh, he had made some poor political decisions during his time up there, and that at this moment in time he had actually lost some of that political favor that he had because the guy that was putting him there and supporting him had died, and uh, so he was kind of a little bit in hot water. He was floundering a little bit, if you will. And so we have the, that's the background of him. Now we're going to look at, you know, what did they think of him? And quite frankly, the New Testament suggests if we read that Pilate had a weak and vacillating personality and they inferred that he was brutal and insensitive to Jewish ways. And we see that when we look through different parts. We know he's not mentioned a lot, but we do see at one point in the Bible where he killed Galileans and mixed their blood with um, their sacrifices. And well... That's pretty brutal, you know, at least in my mind it is. Uh, so really what, we, what it boils down to at this stage of the game is, is that what we have here is a uh, political leader 
that's um, landed himself in a compromised position. And why does this matter? Well, because the Sanhedrin know it. They're going to bring Jesus in front of him, hoping that he, they can manipulate, you know, his outcome on the uh, trial that they're wanting to propose. And, and generally speaking, during during this time, in matters of um, Jewish law, the the way they would go about this was is that the Jewish leaders would bring and run the trial, and then the Roman person, which would be Pilate in this case, would impose verdict. And um, so that's how we find him, why he's there. So we've got him there. We're hoping that he's going to, um, that he, you know, they're going to be able to manipulate a quick decision. But the problem lies with where Pilate is. He is somewhat compromised and he's wary. He's wary of whatever he does right now because he's being, he's under the spotlight from Rome. So it brings us to the accusations, which are kind of interesting. Rob called them the last week a master class in hypocrisy, and I really like the way that turn, the way that he turned that. Um, you know, they knew there they had decided that Jesus was a blasphemer, that he had claimed that he was, you know, the Son of God, and they were not going to have that. That just wasn't what they wanted. But they also knew that being the son of God wouldn't have affected Pilate very much. It was not, um, it just didn't affect the peace and the power of Rome that a man would claim that he was a son of God. And they knew that when they went to the Sanhedrin. I mean, excuse me, when they went to Pilate. So when they bring Jesus in front of Pilate, they have a new set of accusations. They wanted to kind of manipulate what they were going to charge him with. In order to, um, you know, get the Romans a little bit mad, and uh, so they bring him there, and they and they they first off say that this man is, you know, he's inciting a tax revolt. He's telling them that they don't want to pay their taxes, and we know that's not true. We remember Jesus telling them, "Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render unto God what that which is God's." Well, then they go on to claim that he was a king. You know, and Jesus told him, yeah, I'm a king, but I'm a king, not of this world. And it's interesting at that point in time that we see that the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, are accusing Jesus to the Romans of being this powerful king, supposedly with a lot of backing that's going to come and take down Rome. Isn't that exactly what they expected from the Messiah? They're accusing and looking for death of a Messiah and characterizing him as exactly what they wanted that's interesting to me a little bit not much and the tax part is a little bit interesting to me as well too um you know he's saying you know that he's inciting a tax revolt but the truth was he said that you should render unto caesar what is caesar's and unto god what is god's yet they're taking what is god's jesus and bringing him in front of caesar it's a whole bunch of hypocrisy and a bunch of twists right there that are just really, you know, they're something to look at, you know. And what we see here is, is they're doing whatever it takes to protect the cause. But what is this cause for them? God? Are they protecting God? We know God doesn't need any protection. You know, it really kind of boils down to they're protecting a religion, the religion that they've kind of built. You know, they've got. God, or Moses, brought down ten laws. They decided 
to manipulate that into hundreds of laws in the Jewish in, in the Jewish laws. And Jesus comes around and gives them two. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor. That did not fit into their box. That was just simply not what they were looking for. It was diminishing their power, and they had to have him gone. They were just not going to stand for that. And um, we'll see when we look at that, that how much people can be whipped into a frenzy when they're driven by self-interest and self-righteousness, and especially when their leaders are doing that in front of them as well, too. They're just noise. Now for the fun part. How many times have I done this? I fit those sandals. I've done it. Exaggerated the truth to make a point. Guilty. Little white lie for the greater good. Guilty. I'm not proud of that. And it really, really bothers me that the fallen nature of man can still come through in me. I've accepted Jesus. I love God. I'll tell you guys with all my heart and my soul. I love Jesus. Um, but somehow or another, this fault still comes through in me. I look at that mirror, and it's just scary sometimes. And, you know, it's not just self-injected stupidity. You know, that's my term. I like it because it fits me well. <laughs> but I'm helped along every single day. We're constantly inundated with twisted information geared to manipulate us and to influence our opinions on this or that. You know, between the 24-hour news channels and social media feeds, the seeds of division in this world are not just planted, but they're watered and fertilized. And I know it's not a popular subject to talk about in here. And I don't stand left, right, middle, this or that or the other, but I stand as somebody observing what's going on around me. But the things that are brought to us that we argue about, to vaccinate or not, to wear a mask, to be a liberal or a conservative, what about a gender definition or, or, or when does life begin and when does not? I, I don't want to say when any of this stuff is. I'm not here to talk about that. That wouldn't be what I, what, what I would want the point of all of this to be. What I want the point of all of this to be is that that stuff is the work of our enemy. That is... That is not God helping us. That is our enemy dividing us and conquering us, separating us from God's word or God's the two. Just the simple two. Love God and love your neighbor. It's just really not that hard. It's super simple. It's something I can do as far as that goes. Now, granted, I'm going to make mistakes on the line on the, trying to do the rest of it. But those two are easy for me. But we hear it. It's noise. And that's what I was talking about from the beginning. Noise, 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 noise. It reminds me, you know, think about monkeys in a zoo. You see one sitting in there and then all of a sudden he'll jump up on the cage and, you know, do something. And the next one will jump up there and beat the bars with something. Then about the time every single one of them in there are just grabbing the bars and screaming that loud monkey sound I can't make. <laughs> You know, and they're just, they're just getting it. They get louder and louder and louder. And it's just like, just until the point where it's fixing to just be obnoxiously hugely loud, it culminates in that iconic flinging of poo. 
You know, that's exactly how I envision the crowd that's accusing Jesus there. You know, as well, it frightens me that I can get caught up in that too. Yeah, I um, I'm, I sadly I know I know I can and I do, and it's sad. But the good news is, is that we know that in the middle of this world's noise, that there is peace in Jesus Christ. You know, we have an example here. We hear often hear, what would Jesus do? Well, we don't have to think about that here. We see exactly what Jesus did in this situation. He remained quiet. He remained sinner. He remained sinner in the knowledge of the new kingdom. He had no reason to reason with those who had no ears to hear. And he stood solid in the knowledge of his father's will and remained steadfast in his commitment to follow that path no matter the noise or external influences. You know, so we're reminded again that in the middle of this world's noise, there is peace in Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, so we move on in the story a little bit. And now we're going to find something that I found interesting as well. Is why? Why did Pilate jump so quick to the not guilty you know, it was like he asked a question, are you the son of God? And Jesus replied, you say I am. It's like, I find no fault in this man. Well, that's pretty quick, you know, and I'm going, hmm, where is this? And this is where I say, thank you for the parallel gospels. Because I got over to Mark. And when I read in Mark, I realize that we're given notice there that Pilate was aware of the envy of the Jewish leaders and that he had um, also pretty much understood that Jesus, that they thought that Jesus was too powerful for their liking. And it's also really not a stretch to assume that Pilate was quite aware of the nefarious intentions that the Sanhedrin were, were, were up to, you know, with that. There's a lot of little bitty bits and pieces of history back there. But it, it's um, it, when, when you go through them and without making again this thing go to three o'clock, it, it's noted that he is aware of what they're trying to do. And um, with his political clout dwindling, he is leery of also what they're trying to do. He doesn't want. That's the thing. Pilate is made to look so bad in so many different ways and different ways we've seen in red. But the fact is, and while you might be bad, he did not want to convict Jesus. He found nothing wrong with this man. It's a just verdict, but it wasn't one that the masses were willing to go along with. Enter the screaming monkeys. You know, how often in life does this situation pop up with us? Again, that horrible mirror that I'm talking about. But let's think about it. I don't know about you. I know I have. I've had a family member or a friend come up to me and they want to talk about, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so. And it's just like they're not happy about it. And uh, you're listening to them and, and you kind of realize that they've got a little bit of self-serving motivation going on in there. They're coming to you for validation. or They're coming to me for validation. They're coming to us, I guess. And And when we say, well, perhaps maybe you want to rethink what you're doing, their volume raises and things start to get a little excited. And then uh, the thing I like, the yeah, buts start coming, you know, like, yeah, but this and yeah, but that. And I don't know. Yeah, but I'm looking for the door at that time. It's like, please let me out of that. I think that's where Pilate was, you know. But wait a minute. Again, mirror. Ow. 
It's so not fun. How many times have we been the bearer of that problem somewhere? I don't know about you. Guilty. And I'm quite sure that the sandals that they're wearing right here in this thing are nine and a half because they fit me. They fit me well. Gossiping at work, maybe. Let's say, for example, somebody goes up. Oh, so-and-so is just not doing his job right. You know, loosely translated, that means they're not doing it the way I want it to be done. You know, and something needs to be done about it. Loosely translated, it means that, well, saying something to them will be awkward for me. Hey, somebody else needs to go do that. You know, it's like, wow. <laughs> it's scary to me. You know, I've told you this might be a little bit of a convicting passage, but I'm going to tell you, I convict myself. This passage convicts me. I look at it and it does. So anyway, we find that we'll move, um, that, you know, when we think about this, what can we take from that? And what I take from it is, is that we find and reflect peace when we seek first our guidance from God. Don't bring, Mike, don't bring your stuff to somebody else. Pray about it, you know, pray about it. The council was looking for conformance, not guidance. And what we see is that egocentric vanity we you know, the one that's all about me and I'm right, it will lead us astray. Seeking selfish validation is harmful to ourselves, and it's also harmful to the people we're seeking validation from. And in all honesty, we don't represent the kingdom well when we engage this way. We reflect well on the kingdom when we reflect the face of God. So, back to Pilate. It's become evident that the self-serving council that's demanding their way isn't going to let him off of the hook, you know. So, you go on, move on in the text, and it's like, Galilee, boom, there's his out. You know, the background on this was is that Pilate and Herod Antipas were kind of at odds at one another. And um, politically speaking, um, uh, Pilate had been usurping Herod's authority and doing things over there that he shouldn't have been. And Pilate being the excellent politician he is, sees that it's a good idea, it would be a good out if I could just pass this over to um, Herod Antipas and let him have it, and it would make me look good like I'm, you know, respecting his authority. And so, well, master class in politics, that's what we have. So at that point, let's continue reading, and um, we'll read the next all the way to the end at this stage, and we'll finish up from there. And reading here, we read, Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about him and he was hoping for a long time to see him perform a miracle. He asked Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer. Meanwhile, the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law stood there shouting their accusations. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. Herod and Pilate, who had been enemies before, became friends that day. See what a good job he did with that politicking? Yeah, oh, we're buddies now. Anyway, so let's, 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 let's look for a second at who King Herod is. Herod um, this, um, was the son of, not, I said King Herod. Herod Antipas was the son of King Herod. He would have been a king, not for the occupation of Rome. Rome came in and, and Rome would have no kings. And through some political jockeying and some uh, work back in Rome, they had made a, um, they had made a legal agreement that Herod Antipas would go back and rule over a small section 
of, of Judea, which would have included, um, excuse me, um, boy, thank you so very much. See, that's why I love you guys. You help me so much. But anyway, as we know from this story, or maybe some of us do, maybe some of us don't, we know that um, Herod was the one who beheaded John the Baptist, who was Jesus's uh, cousin. And he beheaded John the Baptist because John the Baptist didn't like his marriage, which was considered a marriage of uh, incestual marriage where King Herod had had his um, then wife divorce his brother so that he could marry her. And that just didn't sit well with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was screaming a lot about it. And uh, the wife most mostly didn't didn't care for that screaming. And she wanted him dead. And it ended up being that way. So we know that Herod um, and all of this really isn't the greatest, you know, example of a, well, a Jewish leader at all, quite frankly. He's terrible. And uh, so we move on. When we read the story from there, the thing that I find most interesting in this to start with is that Pilate didn't want anything to do with Herod. I mean, he didn't want anything to do with Jesus, but Herod was absolutely delighted to see Jesus. And there's a little thing, you know, a little bit of uh, the here and there kind of thing. But um, the reason that um, Herod wanted to see Jesus wasn't because he wanted to be taught in the new ways of the kingdom or anything. What Herod wanted was for Jesus to come and perform those miracles for him. See, Herod had come to the decision himself by hearing all the things that Jesus was doing that perhaps maybe Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected. He didn't know, but he wanted to see. He was curious about that. But mostly what he wanted to do was to, um, was to um, you know, have him perform. I want to see that miracle. Give me, give me some miracle, Jesus. And uh, what we see here, and I think is like crazy, is that we have a king who would have been that's not wanting the king of creation to come and perform for him. Think about that. You know, and we've watched Jesus here again, silent. Herod's just asking him, uh, you know, question after question after question. You know, what? What about this? What about that? Jesus remains completely silent. Won't answer any of his questions. And I read something while I was studying this from a pastor named Alistair Begg. Some of you guys might know him, but I love I love his devotionals and I read them almost every single day. And this is so appropriate for what we're looking at here. He had a I'm going to read directly from him if you don't mind. But he had a section that says, how do we ask questions? And Begg goes on to say school teachers and college professors often experience two types of questionnaires. Those who ask humbly with genuine interest and those who aim to challenge in an adversarial manner. The former clearly seeks to understand and the latter are no more interested in advancing an agenda, excuse me, are more interested in advancing an agenda and reinforcing their opinions or simply looking smart. Unlike the crowds of people who witnessed and marveled over Christ's miracles, the Pharisees often challenged Jesus' teaching and public ministry in order to test him and to undermine him. They weren't there to see his wonderful works and consider whether he was actually the person he claimed to be. They were there to trip him up and trap him. Jesus responded to the crowds that followed him with compassion. He had divine kindness for those who came to him in humility of heart, recognizing their need. He turned away no one who came genuinely seeking the truth. But he met the antagonistic religious leaders with 
righteous frustration, divine impatience for those who came seeking to prove their own position and challenge his claims. There are two ways to ask a question, humbly or arrogantly. And the teacher, and that's with a capital T, always knows the difference. I'm going to tell you a little story about me real quick. Um, for years, I was a non-believer. I didn't believe in Jesus. But I was around lots of people that did. And I will always tell them, if God is there, he'll speak to me. I'm here. I'll listen. And I did that for years. And I actually really believed it. Uh, you know, I'm here. You know, no answer. There was this day. It was approximately 20 years ago. I was at the bottom. I was totally at the bottom. I had done. I was in a situation and I just couldn't find a way out. And it was a life changing situation for me. I was struggling. I was truly, truly trying to find an answer. And I just couldn't do it. It's, things weren't going my way. And at that particular time, I was talking with a friend. And it wasn't one of those where I was seeking validation. I was truly seeking guidance. And I'll never forget that day. I asked my friend there what, you know, what I thought. And she looked at me and she goes, have you done everything you can do? And I looked at her and honestly answered her. Was, at least I thought I had was giving her an honest answer. I told her, yeah, I have. And she looked back at me, and people, I want to tell you something. Her face was smiling. It was glowing. She looked like an angel to me, and she smiled. And she asked me one more time, have you done everything you can do? And I thought to myself, I haven't asked God to help me. And at that moment in my mind, I asked God to help me. And I got I got the answer. I got the, I got the miracle that Herod was seeking. Because the first thing, God dumped so much into my head at that particular moment. But the very first two things he said to me, he said, Mike, I have waited a long time for you and I love you. I get choked up when I think about that because it was powerful then and it was powerful today. I mean, and I know, I know, I know this, I know this better than anything I know in this world is that God will not remain silent to an honest, humble seeker. I know this for a fact. Anyway, <clears throat> Herod wanted a performance. You know, he wanted his subject to perform for him. And his arrogance would not allow him to see the new king. I cringe when I think of how well I wore that skin. You know, how often do we subjugate people? Or, excuse me, do we subjugate God and our expectations or our prayers? You know, God, take this away from me. Why are you doing this to me? Versus an example that we were given just a few verses earlier in Luke. When we hear Jesus say, Father... If you are willing, take this cup from me. Not my will, but yours be done. Amen. Man, moving on, we'll see. Well, I want you guys to see the contrast that was going on in this. Jesus is completely silent, and the crowds are getting louder and louder and louder. When I first read this, that silence was deafening to me. I knew that there was something extraordinarily important in that silence. Why would the sinless son of God, the son of man, as we say, God, son of man. Why would he, this Jedi Jesus that we've seen so many times before, disappear from trouble and not get into it. All of a sudden, when his life is absolutely depending on it, stand silent. You know, 
He's outwitted lawyers and scribes and all of everybody else. But this moment he stands there and he will not defend himself. Why? 700 years before this happened, a prophet named Isaiah wrote these words. He said, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And a few verses away from that, we can also read. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This verses, the verses that we're going over right now, were not unanticipated. They were written. God has a plan and he is in control. 700 years later, that unfolds. You know, last week, Rob brought up the point about the Sanhedrin, Jesus bringing to their point who really is on trial right now. You know, also, this whole section of Luke is, is referred to as in the trial of Jesus. But I ask you, and this might be a little bit tougher, you know, who really is on trial? And why, why, why didn't Jesus defend himself? Why didn't he? I actually had to think about that. And then when I read it, I'm like, oh, wow. Because he was guilty. Jesus was guilty. Well, I don't. I thought I could get some uproar there. <laughs> ah, well, but he was guilty, not because of his own, but he was guilty through substitution. It wasn't Jesus' trial. This is our trial. This is our trial. It's hard to look at it that way. It's our trial. It's a Jewish leader's trial. It's a Sanhedrin's trial. It's the scribes and the lawyer, the pilot, it's Herod, it's Roman, Roman temple guards. It was our trial. All of these people, it was humanity's trial. And Jesus stood there silent. The silent lamb of God, oh, standing there for all of mankind, who choose to accept the greatest gift ever given ever given us salvation through substitution jesus couldn't defend himself the, what good would it have done the, the the plan god's plan would not be fulfilled he had every ability and every right to say this isn't me or i didn't do that and and, and get out of there and, you know get out of the, the problem but he didn't do that he silently stood there knowing everything and took this for you and for me and for everyone here. And I'm so happy that he did. The Apostle Paul put it. God made him who had no sin be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. Thank you for that. And again, we'll flash back to the text of what's going on here. We see we watch Jesus standing there silently. We see the keepers of the Jewish faith. God's keepers of the word. These were the Levites. They were the people. The Jewish temple guards were the ones that were in charge of keeping the, you know, God's word. And they were just mocking and abusing Jesus. 
It reminds me every time that I read that passage. I've never seen it more vividly than when I watch it in the Passion. You know, I watch the movie. And I will tell you right here, I have never watched that movie past that point. Every time I see it and I get to that point, I am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow, despair, shame, guilt. And mostly, I'm overwhelmed with fear. The fear that Jesus is to take away from us, the fear we should be know that fear is a liar, but yet no matter what, I am scared to death that if my Savior comes again, that I might let my religious convictions or my expectations cloud my vision of who He is. I'm scared that that could be me. And... In all honesty, it's truly a shortcoming. You know, I, I should be, I should know that the Holy Spirit would talk to me and it would do that. But that's just a fear that I don't get past. You know, and, and you ask, oh, how do you get past these shortcomings? You don't. Jesus did. You know, we don't do this well. We hear Rob say that all the time. God knows we don't do this well. And I firmly believe that God wants us to understand we don't do this well. We don't do this well because we need Jesus. You know, I need Jesus. I need him. I know I do. You know, I've talked to people like Blake or somebody else. I get so frustrated sometimes that. I feel like I should be further along in my walk. You know, I just want to be further. And Blake's always a good person to bring me back to reality. And he goes, good. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. And, and he's right, you know. He's like, exactly where I want. I am right there, humbly seeking the Lord, you know. So we're reminded right now. We come humbly, seek God honestly, and live in peace through the atoning sacrifice of the silent lamb. You know, I love, again, we'll go back to Paul. This is in Philippians. Paul writes this, and I love it. It says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. I'm like that. I'll double underline that one. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. That's what I need to hear. I know that when I'm not right, if I'm asking, if I'm seeking, God's going to let me know about it. You know, I'm going to fall short. We're going to fall short. And that's okay. You know, that's all right. So, wrapping up here. Let's look at the, the main things we might want to ask what we can do here. Let's humbly ask God to help us. Let's ask him to help us find peace in the world's noise through Jesus. Let's humbly ask God to seek first our guidance from God first. And let's ask him to help us find our answers from him through humble seeking. And also, let's live in peace through the atoning sacrifice of the silent lamb. As Rob would say, right on. I don't dig it. All right, if you'll stand with me, we'll pray. <clears throat> Father God, I stand before you broken, broken and beautiful. I know that I'm beautiful because I know you think that I'm beautiful. And I know that you think that we're beautiful. We're beautiful through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We uh, 
are just awestruck at your love and awestruck at what Jesus would go through to be that sacrifice for us, to be the righteousness that we as fallen mankind cannot be. I appreciate more than anything else that you understand our brokenness and that you accept us and you meet us right exactly where we are. And I need that. Lord, Lord, I need that. We thank you so, so very much for that. Thank you again for all of the blessings that you bestow on us. And thank you for this wonderful family that I get to stand in front of today and be so kind. Bless them all. Bless us as we go today. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Just for you 
this blessing maybe i'm the one that's supposed to point this up here and i think we did it at the same time let's speak this blessing together and we'll be gone may you see the lord's goodness in the land of the living may the lord hold you steady and still in jesus christ hold firm take heart in his love there is hope for you. Go and pen. I'd like to remind you as well, too, if you need uh, prayer, there will be some people up front here that see you. So come on down. And I will look forward to seeing you guys again next Sunday.